don't know if you've noticed, but I like starting my sermons with questions. I like getting you thinking, something really deep, something to chew on, kind of existential or theological, philosophical. So here's the big philosophical question of the day. Are you ready? You ready to think? It's, it's uh, 11.35. You should be awake by now. First service had a bit of an excuse. You don't. Okay, so here it is. Did you get dressed this morning? Okay, good. Some of you are quick. And I think I could answer for all of you. It's yes. Unless you slept in your clothes, in which case you're very efficient. So uh, kudos to you. Did you get dressed this morning? Did you think about it at all? And if you did, I heard a couple no's. <laughs> awesome. If you did, what things influenced your decision? Maybe you went to the closet and you said, okay, it's Sunday. I want to wear something for church. Maybe you looked at the weather and said, it's going to be hot today. We're, we're going into the 90s, I believe. We might be there already. And uh, maybe you dressed for that. Maybe you've got something coming up later on in the day. You said, right after church, I'm going here, a picnic or whatever it is, and you dress for that. Something dictated what you put on. Would what you're wearing change if today, instead of coming to church, you were working in the yard? Yesterday, I uh, I didn't work in my yard. I probably should have, but I didn't. I, I fixed the brakes on my car, so I was underneath my car. I, I didn't wear this, okay, because I was all greasy. I, I then went and painted a bathroom, and so I didn't wear this. I wore different clothes that I could paint in because I had to choose what I was going to wear. Now, don't be too impressed. I, I try at least once a year to do something that makes me feel like you know, I'm taking care of the house. So this, that was it. I'm done for the year. Check. Honey-do list is done. There's, there's now primer on my bathroom wall. Woohoo! Looks awesome. What if you were going into battle? What if the call came, the battle's here, and you've got to go into battle? Would that change what you put on? Today's sermon's called Stand Strong. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. Go ahead and turn there. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, uh, 10 through 20. This passage is about the armor of God. What is it as Christians that we are to put on in our spiritual life? And why do we need to put those things on? So what I'd like to do is read the passage for us. And then we're going to go through it together and look at the importance of this passage. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. Feel free to use it. Uh, Feel free to take it. If you really don't have one, that's fine. Take it home with you. We'll get more. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. 
Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Stand strong. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. We need to understand as we come to this passage, there is a real struggle that is going on. This was not just a struggle in the early church. It was not just a struggle in the Roman Empire. It was not just Paul's struggle because he was in prison. It is a struggle that we are in today. It is a struggle that will continue until Christ returns. And the command in this passage is be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. The strength that we are called to, that we are commanded to in this passage is not our own strength. I think a lot of times we get this wrong and we say, okay, I want to be strong, so I'm going to work harder at being strong. I'm going to strengthen myself. That's not what Paul is talking about. He says, be strong in the Lord. Flip with me back to Ephesians chapter 1, because this passage in many ways is Paul's conclusion to this letter. Everything that he's been talking about up until this point is summed up in this passage of how we are to stand as Christians. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, Paul is praying for the Ephesian believers. And he says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as his mighty strength which he exerted when he raised raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Listen to the power that he wants us to stand in. It's not our power. It's not our boldness as Christians. It's the power of God that we see in Christ that rose Christ from the dead and that is now presently at work in us. I can feel strong for a while, but I'm going to run into a situation where I realize very quickly I can't handle it. I don't know of any situation that I could run into where I could say God can't handle it. I want to be strong in the Lord's power. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. Paul's praying again. Chapter 3, verse 14, he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So when we get to Ephesians chapter 6, And Paul says, stand strong in the Lord's power. We have to understand, he's saying, all this stuff that I've been saying up to this point, that's your strength. Everything about Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done for you, everything about who you are in Christ, who we are as the church, that's your strength. Be strong in the Lord. To be strong in the Lord is a command to know what Christ has done, is doing, and will continue to do and to find your strength there. Now, 
I don't know many Christians, in fact, I don't think I've ever met a Christian that said, you know what, I really just want to be weak in my faith. I, I'm, I'm good with that. I just, just a little teeny tiny bit of faith and I'll be weak, no big deal. Most of us, if we were asked, would say, yes, I want a strong faith. Imagine going to the doctor, and, and maybe for some of us, we don't have to imagine this much. You go to the doctor, and typically the doctor will say, hey, you know, your diet, you kind of need to work on the foods you're eating, the kind of foods. You just you need to eat a little more healthy. We go, okay, okay. And we eat healthy for a day, maybe. And then we go back to our old ways. And the next year you go to the doctor again, hey, you really need to eat more healthy. Okay, I'm really putting in an effort that one time last year. And then we start eating healthy for a day, and we go back. And we think it's really not that big a deal. There's no sense of urgency to it. What if you went to the doctor and the doctor told you, if you don't change your diet, I give you two years to live. Within two years, you're going to be dead. Do you think that would change how you looked at your diet? Suddenly, there's an urgency to it. There's a necessity to it. And that's why in this passage, Paul is clearly telling us, not only we need to be strong in the Lord, but there is an urgency here. There's a necessity here. We have to be strong. There is a very real struggle. And in verses 11 through 12, he tells us it is a spiritual struggle. Our struggle, verse 12, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is a spiritual struggle going on. Now, we're modern people. We live in a modern scientific sort of age. We tend to think that if I can look at something and reason it out, I can come to a rational conclusion. If I could do an uh, experiment, then I can prove something. If I wanted to study sociology, I could take a survey and I could use the data and come up with reasonable conclusions. We fool ourselves sometimes that all there is is what we see and we somehow can get a handle on all of it. And if we were just smart enough and worked hard enough and we could all get together and work hard enough, we'll figure it all out. But see, the struggle is so much greater than this. It is a truly spiritual struggle. Our greatest struggle is not with people. It's not with governments. It's not with poverty or hunger or sickness. These are real struggles. Don't get me wrong. But behind all of those and underneath everything else in the world, there is a spiritual struggle. We fool ourselves when we tell ourselves that all there is is what I know and what I see. Who do we think we are? Are we really that smart to know everything of reality when we didn't make it happen? We didn't create it? 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. There's a real danger in this world. There is a God. There is also a devil. There is God's way. Then there is also the other way. And this way of darkness and death and sin is real. And there's a battle going on in our day-to-day lives. C.S. Lewis talks about two errors when we look at Satan. He says one error is to give him way too much credit. I'm paraphrasing. 
One error is to attribute everything that's wrong to Satan. Oh, well, the devil made me do it. I guess it's not really my fault because the devil made me do it. That's one error. The other error, I think, is what we're more prone to, which is to ignore him and act as if he doesn't exist at all. And Paul is saying there is a real spiritual battle going on. But lest we get caught up in this and get worrisome and fretting and wringing our hands and saying, oh my goodness, the world is so evil and the devil's out to get us, go back with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. Because in that prayer, we'll pick it up in verse 20, when he talks about the strength of God that raised Christ from the dead, Chapter 1, verse 20, he said, He exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. When Paul says you're in a spiritual struggle, he has already said it is a struggle that has already been won by Jesus Christ. It's already won. It's still a real struggle, but the outcome is secure. Colossians 2.15 says of Christ, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Boy, it's it's a lot different to go through a struggle knowing the end is already determined. We've already won. And then he talks about in this struggle that the days are evil. He says in verse 13, Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Ephesians 5.16 says these present evil days should be our motivation for following Christ. We need to live carefully. Galatians 1, 3, and 4 says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. This world is not neutral. We're not left to our own devices to just figure things out. There is a real and true evil that is at work in this world, and even in our own lives. There is a real struggle. But not only does the Bible talk about this present age as being evil, there's also, especially in the book of Revelation, a clear indication it's going to get worse. There's your encouragement for the morning. If you're really struggling, guess what? The Bible tells us before it gets better, when Christ returns, it's going to get worse. And yet, when that day of evil comes, we will be able to stand because of Jesus Christ. One commentator writes, evil rarely looks evil until it accomplishes its goal. It gains entrance by appearing attractive, desirable, and perfectly legitimate. It is a baited and camouflaged trap. Do you see the urgency and the necessity of standing strong there? There is a true and real struggle going on. And so what is our response? What is the command of God in order for us to respond to this? It is to stand strong. It's not to storm the gates. It's not to topple the government. It's not to overthrow the evil in this world. That is God's job. Our job is to stand. And honestly, 
I think it's harder to stand firm. When the world around you is beating you up or crumbling, it is hard to take a stand and say, I will trust in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what does it look like to stand? Well, that's where the armor of God comes in. The armor of God is not something in addition to standing. It is what it means to stand. Paul's saying, look, you're going to stand firm. Let me tell you what that looks like and how this works. And so he says we are to put on the armor of God. Verse 14, he begins and he goes through these various aspects of the armor. But before we get into the individual things, you need to understand where Paul's getting this from. You see, the armor of God doesn't just appear here. It is also in the Old Testament. It is a way of referring to God's character, God's nature, and God's actions. The armor of God is what God does. This isn't our armor. Paul doesn't say, take up your faith, your truth, your righteousness. He says, take up God's truth, God's righteousness. Trust in that. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 5, speaks of the coming Messiah. And he says, righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Isaiah 59, 15 through 17, the Lord looked and and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. To put on the armor of God is to trust in who God is and what he's doing. It's to say, I'm holding on to that. This is what protects me in the struggle. This is what enables me to stand. Putting on who God is and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul breaks these into two sections. And he starts with three things in the armor that must already be in place. The Greek word here, the tense, is something that has already happened. So when he says, verse 14, the NIV has stand firm, it's, it's literally having stood firm or standing firm with the belt of truth already buckled around your waist. So he talks about the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And as I read this, I thought about a Roman soldier, which is obviously what Paul's referring to here. A Roman soldier that would be sitting in camp. And there'd be certain aspects of his armor that he would keep on all the time. Because really, if the battle came, it's not the time to pull out your pants and one leg at a time, you know, hold on, hold up for me, wait, I'm coming. You don't have time for that. You need to have them on already. Because when the battle comes, you've got to be ready. And so these are the things he's talking about. These things need to be put in place. Verse 14, the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Some say this is a belt that went over on the outside of the armor and held everything together and held the sword. That's possible. But more likely, it's actually something that went on under the armor. It was sort of a leather uh, apron that protected the mid-regions, if you would, underneath the armor. But it was a foundational garment. Everything sort of depended on this and rested on this. In Ephesians, truth is foundational. Chapter 1, verse 13 says the Ephesians were included in Christ when they heard the message of truth. 
chapter 4, verse 15, they were to speak the truth in love and the church would grow and mature as they spoke the truth in love to one another. Ephesians 4.21, the Christians were to live a new life in Christ as they were taught in the truth in Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 25, it influences how we live. We are to put off falsehood and speak truthfully to our neighbors. Everything about us as a Christian depends upon God's truth. We don't get to come together and say, what do you think? Oh, what do you think? What makes you happy? Oh, I like this. I like this. I'll pick and choose. I sat through the last of the um, the class on the gospel. and This class that Mark Vallake was teaching and Dan Lansbury finished it up today was looking at heresies. And I was just struck how when you look at all these different heresies, each one takes an aspect of the gospel and says, well, I like this. And then they run with it and ignore everything else or reinterpret everything else. To have the belt of truth is to say, I will stand firm in the truth of God. His truth, not mine. The truth about Christ, the truth about Scripture is not secondary to the Christian life. It is foundational. It's not optional. It is essential. It's why, as a church, we spend time doing what we're doing right now, pouring over the Word of God. It's why if you come to Sunday school, we're going to open up the Word of God. If you come on Wednesday nights, we're going to open up the Word of God. Because it's about His truth, not ours. Continuing on in verse 14, he talks about the breastplate of righteousness. Again, this is God's righteousness. This is not us conjuring up some image of being perfect and holy because of all the righteous things we do. It's God's righteousness that protects us. We are putting on what was accomplished for us by Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, he talks about we were dead in our sin but now we're raised to new life in Christ. And then in chapter 4, he applies this to how we live. In verses 22 through 24, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to put new or to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Our righteousness is not something we make. Nobody's going to stand before God or stand in a struggle and go, man, but I'm so awesome. We're going to stand in a struggle and say, I know that God is righteous and I've been saved by Jesus Christ. This righteousness protects us against the attacks of the world. Then he goes on in verse 15, he talks about feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The Roman shoes that the soldiers would wear were sort of a technological advancement of their time. They allowed the Roman army to move quickly and sure-footedly. I think that's a word. I just made that up. That's pretty good. Across a big distance. It allowed them not only to move quickly, but then in battle to stand firm. They were able to hold their footing. Some people have said, what does this mean about the gospel? Is it our ability to take the gospel, our readiness to take the gospel, or is it our ability to trust the gospel and stand firm because of it? I think, yes. I think it's both. We're ready because we know and we trust the gospel. We're ready to stand firm because we know who we are in Jesus Christ. We're saved. We're ready to go and share the gospel. When an opportunity presents itself, when you're speaking to a friend or a family member that's struggling, to say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. He died for you on the cross. He rose from the grave and promises eternal life to all who believe. 
He takes your sin and gives you his righteousness. There's the gospel. The beautiful gospel of truth. We have to have these things in place. We have to have the truth of God. We have to have the understanding of the righteousness of God given to us through Jesus Christ. We have to have the truth and the understanding of the gospel. I've shared the story before, but one time in college, I went climbing with some buddies. We drove from Chicago out to Pennsylvania, and we went climbing. I had never climbed with ropes before. I had done a little bit of climbing, just minor things where if you fell, you die, so you were pretty careful. You know, that was kind of the general rule, don't die. And so here we are, and they've got ropes, and I'm in a rope, and I'm trying to climb, and I get maybe five or ten feet up off the ground, and I'm stuck. And they said, there's a handhold right there, just jump for it. I went, are you nuts? You don't jump, you miss, you die. That was my mentality. I stayed there and I got stuck. I couldn't move on, I had to come back down. And I watched my friends go up and I watched them jump for things. I thought, they're crazy. And then you know what I also saw them do? I saw them fall. They missed and they fell and the rope caught them. And they got right back on the the cliff and kept going. They weren't scared of falling because they knew they were held secure by the rope. The next time I climbed, I was able to do it. I was able to jump for that handhold and I got it. I went a little further up and I missed one and I fell. And I went, I'm okay. It's a little scary, but I'm okay. And I went all the way up the cliff. There are a lot of Christians living in fear because they don't know the things that are true of them in Jesus Christ. The truth of God that speaks to our spiritual condition, our spiritual struggle, the necessity of knowing salvation through Jesus Christ. There are people that are scared because they don't understand the righteousness that is ours in Jesus Christ. These things are foundational and must be in place. But then he talks about three things that we are to take up. Verses 16 through 17. And I imagine the Roman soldier again sitting there and he's already, he's got his shoes on, he's got his breastplate on, he's got the belt of truth on, he's ready. But the battle call comes and there's a few things he's got to grab. Grab the helmet, put it on, grab the shield, grab the sword, move into action. Paul talks about the shield of faith. This was a large shield that he could hide behind. And it would have a coating on it to extinguish flaming arrows. Faith is the action of trusting in Jesus Christ. It must be consciously picked up and chosen in the moment of struggle. I will trust Jesus Christ. You're not going to be able to do that if you don't know the truth if you don't know the righteousness that is yours in Christ, if you don't know the gospel. But in the moment of struggle to say, I will trust in Christ. He talks about the helmet of salvation. Literally, it's the helmet which is salvation. To take up the helmet of salvation means to trust that you are saved by Jesus Christ. You know who you are in Christ. You're going to live that out in a difficult situation. You ever seen the movie The Incredibles? Ever seen this? How many of you? Show of hands. Come on. Incredible. Okay. There's a scene in there that I just love. It's a superhero family, okay? So the wife's Elastic Girl. These are the important things we learn at church. The wife's Elastic Girl. She can stretch. The dad's Mr. Incredible. He's incredible. It's really strong. So the dad's gone away and she doesn't know where he is. And she's freaking out. 
And she's going and talking to this friend. And she's just, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. What am I supposed to do? How, what do I do? And the friend looks at her and basically, this is kind of a paraphrase, the friend looks at her and says, are you kidding me? You're a superhero. Go be a superhero. Like, Why are you wringing your hands and stressing about this? Do you not know who you are? Christians, why do we live in fear of our culture or even our failures? We need to know who we are in Jesus Christ. You are saved. Go and live out the truth that you are saved through Jesus Christ. And then he says in 17, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The word here is not just something to know, it is something to speak, to communicate. It's to put the truth and the knowledge from Scripture into action in word and deed. We need to cling to truth. We need to speak truth. We need to understand the truth of God's word. When the battle comes, we must be strong in faith, trust in salvation, and speak the word of God. And over all of this, then, is the action of the soldier. And he says we need to stand alert. 18, in the middle there, at the end of verse 18, really, he says, be alert. If the Roman soldier is back home in the city of Rome and, and just sort of hanging out with his buddies, and he hears a noise, he doesn't have to think, oh, it's the enemy at the gate, it's the enemy in the forest, come on, let's go. He doesn't have to think that. He's at home, everything's fine. But if the soldier is out in the battlefield and it's nighttime and he knows the enemy is in the forest and he sees a light or he hears a noise out there, you know he's going to kick into action. He's going to be alert. Everything within him is waiting and watching and being careful. We face struggles from outside of us, things in this world that seek to attack us or change us. We need to be alert. We face struggles from inside of us, our own sinful tendencies that creep up. We need to be alert. Alertness is the ability to always be ready and take action immediately. Good action. I've shared another story with you before. When my daughter was about four years old, she's now 13, uh, Lindsay, talking about you, Lou, wake up. We were walking out of a restaurant, and at the restaurant, they had those little round mints, the little white and red ones. And we're walking along, and I happened to glance over, and I saw her sucking on the mint, and she went, and it stuck. She was choking. I had been trained years before as a lifeguard, and we had studied the Heimlich Maneuver. We had practiced the Heimlich Maneuver. We had been taught how to read the signs of somebody choking. In that moment, when my daughter started choking, I didn't stop and say, wait a minute, what was I taught? What were those steps? Hold on, let me pull out my Cliff's notes. I need to see. Let me call up my buddy. Hey, what was that thing again? In that moment, everything that I had been taught kicked into gear immediately. I looked at her and said, that's the choking you don't come back from. There was no coughing. There was no speaking. She was choking. I didn't think, what are the steps of the Heimlich? I grabbed her and I put my hand down here, put my other hand on it, and gave it the upper, upward thrust, and that candy shot across the street like a bullet. 
And it was one of those moments I kind of set her down. She looked at me and I looked at her and we just kept on walking. I went, oh my goodness, what just happened? I was able to do that because I was alert. The training was already in place. The practice was already in place. Christians, sometimes we wait to be alert until we're in the midst of a struggle. And then we wonder why we don't have the strength to stand. So what does it mean to stay alert? Paul says, verse 18, and pray. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. I don't believe he's saying in addition to being alert, you also need to pray. I think he's saying you need to be alert by praying. And you need to pray in order to be alert. They go together. When we pray, we are keeping an alertness by trusting in God's work and praying through God's will. And he says, use all kinds of prayers. Because back in verse 11, he says, the devil has schemes, plural. The devil's busy and at work constantly. He's creative in the way he will come after us. We need to pray in every situation using whatever means possible. And we are to pray at the end of verse 18 for the Lord's people. We must pray for each other. We must pray for the church. And then in 19 through 20, Paul says, pray for me. Here's Paul in prison, literally in chains. And he's asking the Ephesian church to pray for him. I think Paul is saying, hey, all this stuff I just said about the armor of God, pray that for me because I need it too. I want to stand firm. Will you pray for me? I love, I've said this before, I love the movies, The Lord of the Rings, and the books. Read them first. There's a beautiful, powerful picture. I think it's in the second movie where these creatures called Ents are in a battle. And the Ents are tree people. They're huge. Oaks and willows. They're just massive creatures with arms that are tree limbs and legs that are tree trunks and toes that are roots that every time they step, they sink down into the dirt and the mud. And in this battle, one of the Ents, or a couple of the Ents, breaks a dam and it comes flooding across this plain of the battle. And there's this wall of water. And these massive creatures, these Ents, they turn toward that water as it's coming to them. And they put their feet down And you see the roots sink down into the dirt and they lean in and the water hits them and they don't move an inch. And all the weapons of the enemy and all the enemy is wiped off the plain and down into the pits. And it's gone. And the ints stand firm. We need to understand that we are in a real and difficult spiritual struggle. And the call to stand firm is necessary and urgent. We need to put on the full armor of God to know who He is, to trust who He is, to live out His truth, His righteousness, His gospel. And we need to stay alert constantly in prayer for ourselves, for one another, and for Christians, our brothers and sisters around the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, this is a difficult subject in some ways 
because it's easy to ignore it. It's easy to take a call like this, like the doctor just saying we need to eat better. We know it's true, but it really doesn't seem like that big a deal. I pray this morning that I, through the the power of your word, through the words of Paul, that I've been able to give a sense of what Paul is saying, that this is important. It's urgent. It's necessary. We need to be prepared to stand. Father, as Christians, we look at our world and we see things changing so fast. And we could either run scared or we can stand firm. And I believe the clearest display of the gospel is to stand firm. Because so many of our friends and family members who don't know Christ are stumbling and struggling. We want to give them something to look to. So that we could be a beacon of hope and a light. So when they, they look at us and they say, how can you stand firm through this? We can say, let me tell you about my Savior, Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.